Good morning, everyone. Good to see all of you here this morning. And as already been said, let me echo that if you're visiting with us, that we're glad that you've chosen to come our way, and we're just happy that you are, are here with us uh, this morning. Before I get into the uh, lesson, let me just remind you of our coffee bar. Just very briefly, I've noticed some of you have had uh, coffee in your hands, and so that's good to see. So remember, that's before and after uh, services. And then let me remind you that next Sunday evening after services, Jared's going to bring a lesson where he's going to uh, challenge and, and charge our, our uh, graduates, but also afterwards we're going to have a finger food fellowship in the, um, in the fellowship area, and so I'd encourage you to uh, participate in that. And then just let me remind you of our barbecue in the park that's going to happen on June the 12th at 4 o'clock, followed by our singing in the park. It's going to be a community event where we're inviting our community. And if you've been to, say, the Village Theater, then you might have noticed that we have a tag on, on their advertisements at the beginning of every movie, and so that's up there. And it's going to be a wonderful time together with one another. And so I'd encourage you to invite your friends and your neighbors to participate in, in that. A husband, had, he had woke up in the morning and he had got ready for his day. He's getting ready for, for work. He's showered and shaved and dressed. And he's ready to go out the door, but he steps into the bedroom first. And his wife is, had just freshly woken up. And she's got this big smile on her face. And she says to him, I bet you don't know what day this is. And he's a fellow who's not really, you know, he's known for not having the best memory when it comes down to special days like anniversaries and birthdays and Valentine's Days and Mother's Days. He just can't remember those things, so it's, he's kind of notorious in that kind of a fashion, and so he's almost brain paralyzed for a moment, and then he says to his wife, he goes, well, I do too know what the day is. It's going to be a very special day for us, and then he quickly walked out the door, and he goes to the office, and as he's working in the office, he is, he's kind of got a brain fog all day. He, he can't focus on his work because he's trying to remember what day is this day that's supposed to be so special, and he just can't for the life of him. And, and he knows that it's a matter of life and death for him. He just for the life of him cannot remember what her birth date is or what her, the anniversary date is. He just can't remember those things and and that goes on all day long and as the day goes on he gets more worried and and more worried because he's dreading having to go home and face his wife and and he doesn't want to disappoint her in any way and so as the day comes to an end he goes out and he gets in his car and he begins to think about oh, what am i going to do so he devises a plan so on the way home he stops by the florist and he buys a beautiful bouquet of flowers and he calls up one of the most fancy you know, restaurants in the area, and he uh, makes a reservation. And he hears that there is a Broadway show that has come into town, and so he buys tickets for that. And so he gets home, and he walks in the door, and he gives his wife this great big kiss. And then he tells her, he says, you need to put on your favorite dress because we're going to go out, and we're going to do a great night on the town. You're going to be really surprised. And so they did. And it was a great night. And on the way home, his wife puts her head on his shoulder and she says this has been a great evening and it had been i mean she had loved the flowers she enjoyed the the dinner she loved the broadway show she loved all of those things but for the life of him he still didn't know what he was celebrating and then she said to him this has been the best groundhog day ever <laughs> well we know what the day is not right <laughs> We know today is Mother's Day. So happy Mother's Day to you moms out there. So I'm, I was wondering as I was thinking about this, um, 
who in the who, who are our new mothers? This is a first year mother. Who are the new mothers in the? Okay, we have one over here. Any others? Because we had like a slew of babies, you know, over this last year. And, and my theory has always been, when it comes to the growth of the church, if you're not going to baptize people, then make babies. We get, we're going to grow one way or the other. Anyway, we are so we're so proud of our our mothers and and all the work that you do and the sacrifices that you make it's just uh, it's uh, incredible you know when it comes down to mothers mothers that's it's something that is within them that they have great hope and expectation for their babies they began singing to their babies and talking to their babies when they're even inside their wombs and familiarizing them with their voice and then when that baby is born they continue that process and that process seems like it never ends and in fact you know you would think okay well once my children are grown and out of the house then i'm done with this mother thing but it, we, but mothers never cease to uh, love their children and care about their children and want the very best for them they have great hopes in their children they have great expectation in their children and so this morning's lesson is called uh, the hope and expectations of a mother and what i would like us to do is is i want us to look at uh, three mothers that are talked about in the scriptures there's a lots of mothers and as was already mentioned you know there's a lot of passages of scripture that has to do with mothers and, and motherhood but i've chosen three uh, women three mothers out of the scriptures, two in the Old Testament and one, possibly even two in the New Testament. And so if you will, open your Bibles over to Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2, the first mother is a mother with, that has really high hopes for her children. Exodus 2 verses 1 through 4. Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a daughter of Levi. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was beautiful, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got out a wicker basket and covered it with tar and pitch. Then she put the child into it and set it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile. His sister, it's Miriam, stood at a distance to find out what would happen to him. Of course, the woman that we are talking about here, of course, is, is Jochebed. Jochebed was the mother of, of Moses. And she had looked so forward to this baby coming into the world, and she has some really high expectations. She has big plans for this baby boy. Aaron is 15 years this baby's senior, or Miriam is 15 years this baby's senior, and Miriam is three, or Aaron is three years older than Moses. And so there was something special about this baby Moses, especially in the circumstances in which uh, he is being brought into the world. When you think of, of children, mothers, I believe, always have high hopes and, and big plans for their children. And when I say big plans, I'm not saying that your children are going to turn out like Moses, who became the great lawgiver and the deliverer of Israel or, or anything like that. But nevertheless, we have big plans for our children. It may not be that you know, our big plans is that they, they, he or she is going to become the president of the United States or is to become an astronaut or a huge corporate, corporate exec or you know, someone, a professional ball player or a musician or anything like that. But we do have big plans. We have dreams and hopes for what our children might be. And of course, I don't know about you, but when I think about hopes and dreams for my children, my children was not that they'd be anything big like I mentioned. My hopes would be that they'd be loving and caring and that they would be willing to be sacrificial, that they would be respectful, and that most of all, they would be faithful Christians and that they would walk close to the Lord. 
I believe that's the hope of almost every Christian mother as they think about their child. Yes, they want them to excel in life. They want them to succeed in life. But mostly, they want them to be faithful as followers of Jesus. Well, Moses, when he came into the world, he doesn't start out in the best of circumstances. I mean, his circumstances are pretty difficult. He was born into slavery, into uh, the world. Look at verses, chapter 1, verses 8 and following. Now, a new king, well, actually, if you go up to verse 6, it says, Joseph died, and all his brothers, and all that generation, but the sons of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly, and multiplied, and became exceedingly mighty, so that the land was filled with them. Now a new king arose, or a pharaoh arose, over Egypt, who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, Behold, the people of the sons of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal wisely with them, or else they will multiply, and in the event of war they will also join themselves to those who hate us and fight against us and depart from the land. And so they appointed taskmasters over them to afflict them with hard labor. And they built uh, for Pharaoh storage cities such as Pithom and, and Ramses. And as you go on down through it, they continue to multiply and they continue to in increase. And Pharaoh makes it even that much more difficult for the children of Israel, subjecting them, oppressing them as slaves. Moses was born in that situation. He wasn't born with a silver spoon in his mouth. Uh, he would later become a prince in Pharaoh's household, hold, but he didn't begin that way, nor were there plans for it to be that way. So he was born in adverse circumstances. Lots of children in the world are born in adverse circumstances. As you look into third world countries, you'll see a lot of children that have some very adverse conditions. Even in our country, we have those who have adverse circumstances. But even children born in adverse circumstances can grow up and can be very successful and do incredible things with their lives. I'm thinking about uh, Dr. Ben Carson. Dr. Ben Carson, you know, he was not born in the best of circumstances. Uh, he was born in not the rich part of D Detroit. His dad was, a, for some years, a, a, a minister, a Presbyterian preacher. And then later he quit that and became a part of the automotive industry in, there in Detroit. But they found out when he was around the age of nine, Ben Carson, the age of nine, that his dad had had a previous family that the rest of the family didn't know about, had not divorced that woman, and now was married to Ben Carson's mother. And when she found out that, well, she kicked the dude out. She separated. She divorced him. And that put them in a very difficult situation. The result was is that the Carson family, they bounced around the countryside, but eventually they ended back in Detroit. And if you read the biography or much about Ben Carson, then you'll learn that, know that, you know what, this guy, you know, he was not the best of students when he was in grade school. He wasn't a great student as a high school student. Somewhere along his senior year, he kind of got into psychology or reading about psychology type things. And so his brother bought him Psychology Today magazine for him to read. And that kind of got his juices going. And then he got into college. And that's where he began to excel to the point that, you know, he began the head of neurosurgery in John Hopkins uh, hospital. I mean, he became a big dog. I mean, he was one of the best neurosurgeons in the nation. Uh, he later retired, got into politics, you know, and ran for the presidency, and I think in 2015 and, and, and 16, and, and he went on to be the head of uh, urban development. 
so here's a guy who started out in not that great of circumstances, but his mom had hopes in him, and he rose to do some incredible things. So, you know, Moses was born in slavery. He didn't have the best thing going for him. He is born under the sentence of death. Look at verses 15 and 16. The king, this is chapter 1, the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra, and the other name was Pua, and he said, when you are helping the Hebrew women to give birth and see them upon the birth stool, if it is a son, if it's a boy, then you shall put him to death. But if it is a daughter or a girl, then uh, she shall live. And of course, they didn't do it. They didn't do it because they feared God. But then you go on down to verse 22, and the, then the edict from the king was, is that you throw those babies into the Nile. You drown them. So here is a king, here is a pharaoh who says, kill the baby boys. That, to me, is shocking. It should be shocking to you as well. And you think, well, yeah, but that's just barbaric. That's just terrible. Well, you know, we've been fighting a social war now for a lot of years in our country, about 50 years since 1973 in Roe v. Wade. You know, over 63 million children have been aborted. Before they even a chance to get outside the mother's womb, they're killed. You know, and we think that's barbaric. And then we look to our time today, and it's just absolutely mind-blowing to me. My body, my choice. Well, that's your body and your choice, but a baby is not your body. A baby is its own individual that's being nourished inside the womb of a person who has made a decision, either responsibly or irresponsibly, to conceive. And there it is. Uh, okay. So that's probably, a, that's a hobby of mine probably to some degree, and I'll stop right there. But you get the idea of what I am saying. You talk about a son, Moses, the lawgiver, coming into the world in adverse conditions, in slavery, and not only that, but he has a king that wants his life to be taken. And his mother refuses to, to do so. She just will not do that. So she takes and she forms a, a basket, a wicker basket, basket probably out of papyrus and puts pitch around it and she places it in the Nile she's got a plan in her mind she's just not throwing it to the Nile crocodile she's got a plan in her mind where her where her daughter Miriam is watching to make sure that baby's going to drift to the right places and he ends up in Pharaoh's household well so he has Moses has this going against him he has number one he's in he's born to slavery he's got a king that wants him dead and then he's the baby of the family. That's where we're lightening it up a little bit here. He's the baby of the family. And you babies of the family, you know, Nicole was the baby of our family. And she's always complained that the bigger kids always had it better. You know, she gets the hand down clothes and not in fashion anymore and maybe a little bit too small. And she gets the toys that the other kids had played with. And we gave her the excess room. If there's an extra room, then she got that room, you know. So, you know, the little baby, you know, the, the, the last baby usually has it a little bit more difficult than those first couple. It's kind of like you've heard the story about the, the pacifier and how the evolution of a pacifier in a, a family, a baby, is crawling on the floor, drops the pacifier, the new mother, first baby, grabs the pacifier, goes to the kitchen, puts it in boiling water for 10 minutes, takes it out, lets it cool for 10 minutes, and then gives it back to the baby. Second baby. The pacifier falls on the ground. The mom picks it up, washes it under warm water, blows it dry, gives it back to the baby. Third baby, pacifier fouls out of the baby's mouth onto the ground. The mom picks it up, licks it off, puts it in the baby's mouth. <laughs> Fourth baby, 
pass the water fountain to the ground, the dog picks it up, licks it, and then, then places it back in the baby's mouth. <laughs> so, so babies kind of, you know, that last babies sometimes had some, hard, had some hard times. Babies are just in, incredible. And so, and so Jochebed, she has high hopes for her baby boy. Uh, she has plans for her baby boy, regardless of what her society was saying in, in that day. Mothers are, are like that. Mothers step in. Moses' mother stepped in for him in his darkest hour, though he may not even known about that. And that's the way mothers are. Mothers step in even when, you know, you don't think so much of yourself. Or maybe when you are down and out, or maybe when you are a little bit confused about life, that's when mothers step in and do some in, incredible things. And that's what Jochebed was about. Jochebed had great hope in her baby. She saw something great in her baby. He would become the lawgiver. She didn't know that. You say, well, yeah, God had great plans for Moses, but listen, he, no greater plans than he had for Moses' mother, a Jochebed. Jochebed was going to be a mother that would raise this boy to be who he would one day become. I know there's a lot of circumstances around the man Moses that would bring him to being the great lawgiver, but it began in the cradle. It began with that mother, that baby in that mother's uh, womb. And I would say the same thing for our mothers. You need to have great hope in your, your children. And when the rest of the world might be down on motherhood, you need to know that you are in the most important position on the face of the planet. And your big plans should be to, to raise children that are loving, that are, are caring, that are sacrificial, that are respectful, that are faithful Christians. And if you did that, do that, you will make a huge impact on our world uh, today. Here's the second mother. This one is found over in Proverbs 31. Now, you know, I did a sermon one time on Proverbs 31, and I had just about every mother in the world mad at me afterwards. But Proverbs 31, verses 10 down through 31, but we're not going to look at that section. We're going to look at verses 1 down through 9, because here we're going to be introduced to a mother who has high expectation for her, her child. She's got expectations for her child. Listen to what it says. The words of King Lemuel, the oracle which his mother taught him. What, O my son, and, and what, O my son's womb, and what, O my son's vows? Do not give your strength to women or your ways to that which destroys kings. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, that uh, it is not for a king to drink wine or for rulers to desire strong drink. For they will drink and forget what is decreed and pervert the rights of all afflicted. Give strong drink to him who is perishing and wine to him whose life is bitter. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his trouble no more. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of the unfortunate. Open your mouth, judge righteously, and defend the rights of the afflicted and the needy. And then the writer of Proverbs goes on and he talks about... Uh, uh, he talks about what a virtuous woman really is. And so in this section, we're talking about the mother of King Lemuel. And you're saying, okay, well, who is this King Lemuel? Because this is the only place you read about it in the, the scriptures. And so who is this person? Well, some say that it is a poetic term that is directed toward Solomon. And others say that it was his mother, Bathsheba, who gave him a pet name, Lemuel. And there's some, probably some, some good reasoning behind that because the word Lemuel means for God or devoted to God. And so maybe that's how she spoke to him and, and referred uh, to him. And so 
my, it's my contention that probably the mother that has been talked about here is Bathsheba. And she has high expectations for the man who is a king and what he is going to be, what he's going to be. He's not king yet. And so she's been giving him advice. She's been preparing him. She has expectations for the day when he does become a king. And so she lays out some advice uh, to him. So the king here is recounting the mother's instruction and the wise counsel. So who is the king who wrote the book of Proverbs? Well, it's Solomon, okay? So Solomon said, here's what my mom told me. Here's what the advice that my mother gave me and the advice that she gave give him, if you were to just summarize it in a nice, neat little package, is this. She's raising her son to have an impact, to have an, a good influence over the nation of Israel that they're going to be looking to him for guidance. They're going to be looking to him for protection. They're going to be looking to him as a model of what being a, a follower of God really is about. And that's what he receives from his, his mother. And so there's something about a mother's wise counsel that flows to us now thousands or millenniums later. The mothers are in the business of raising children who are going to make an impact and who are going to influence the church today. And not only the church, but society. And they're going to do so in some incredible ways. And so what happens is, is that um, Lemuel is, is saying, here are the things my mother told me. And one of the first things that he told me is that you need to teach your children their value. Notice what it says about the womb. Oh, my, my womb. He's talking about that this mother was thinking about him before he was born and before he took his first breath. This mother had been thinking about this son who would one day become the king. He's telling them that you need to teach your children to watch out for the things that have the potential of having a negative influence over them. Something that can drive a wedge between them and God. Something that can steal their heart away from God. And he talks about two things. He talks about the ways of men, which probably has to do with money. Watch out how you allow wealth to affect you. Think about Solomon. Solomon, when he became king, he becomes probably one of the richest, if not the richest man on the face of the planet. He's, he's able, if you read Ecclesiastes, he's, he's able to buy anything and everything that his heart desires. And his mother is warning him, don't let money separate you from God. And then he talks about women. Don't let women separate you from God. Don't let your sexuality or your sensuality uh, separate you or drive a wedge between you and God or steal your heart from God. Think about Solomon in that area. Solomon said that he had 300 wives. The 300 wives were probably had to do with a political thing in dealing with countries around them, making uh, allies and so forth. But then it says he had 600 concubines, whom he himself said in Ecclesiastes are the pleasures of men. So that tells you something about Solomon. So what are the two things that she is warning him about? The two things that are talked the very most in the scriptures beyond God and Jesus, and that is money and sex that's what we struggle with and so she warns him about those things well i'm not saying that your children are going to have problems with those things they're going to deal with all those things but there are other things that are out there that can you know steal their hearts away from god and so i guess what i'm going to say to you as mother is is this is that you need to remember even the seemingly innocent things can be harmful to your children they can be the most subtle and they can become the most nefarious. 
And so you need to be aware that there are good things that are out there that can separate or steal your child's heart from the Lord. I'm talking about the kind of movies that they watch. I'm talking about the kind of books that they read. I'm talking about the kind of games that they play on, the, on the, uh, an iPad or their iPhone or their computer. I'm talking about the things that they use for recreation. I'm talking about athletics. I'm talking about a lot of things. that are in and of themselves are not bad things. They might even be good things. But those good things can become bad things when they become abused things. So as parents, we need to be aware of those things that influence and impact our children and teach them about those things. And if, and, and if nothing else, be their conscience so that they can know which way to go in life. Teach your children to act soberly. Notice he talks a lot about drinking. He warns, she warns Lemuel, be careful about drinking, about drinking hard stuff because it's going to steal your mind so that you don't act soberly and you won't treat people right. Well, anyone who knows anything about alcohol, in our day, you'd have to throw in drugs into it. Anything that does not act causes us to act soberly and to make good decisions is something that we need to watch out for. And that's why Paul said over in, over in Ephesians 5 and verse 18, and 18, he says, Do not be drunk with wine that leads to dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. So even there, in a subtle kind of way, Paul says, watch out for that stuff there. It can make you, listen, when you're drinking or on some kind of drug, you can make some bad decisions. And it only takes one decision to destroy your reputation, only one decision that's going to lead you in a bad direction that you may not be able to change for a long time in your life. So be sober. Teach your children to be sober about life and make good decisions. And then finally, treat your children, teach your children to treat people fairly. Teach your children to do unto others as they would have them do unto you. Teach your children to be kind, to be caring, to be compassionate, to be loving, to be respectful, to be those kinds of things, and you'll have great children. So a children, so our parents are, and mothers are to have some high expectations for uh, their, their children. Why? Because they will never rise above the expectation. If you don't have expectations for your children, they can't rise above that expectation, especially when it comes down to spiritual things. I know there are coaches. I know there are music directors. I know that there are lots of people that can direct your children for high expectation, but none of them will move them in the area of spirituality. And those are the things that are going to last them for a lifetime, so make sure that you raise the expectations. Listen, I have, saw, I have seen preachers and elders who oversee congregations where they have expected very little of that congregation. They, they didn't expect them to grow. They didn't expect them to make an impact on the kingdom. And guess what? Those congregations lived up to those expectations. And many of them are closing their doors today because of it. And those who haven't closed their doors, they have settled for mediocrity, just existing. The church is always intended to grow. Then I've seen preachers and, and elders who have seen great potential in their congregation. Even if it was only people with a single talent, that's a valuable talent. And then there are those who have multi-talents, and that's great as well. But they saw with them the potential to grow spiritually and numerically in the kingdom of God and make an impact. They had that expectation for them, and guess what? They live up to that expectation. You raise the bar, God's expectation. And don't forget this, God has expectations for you as his children. 
Look at those passages behind me. 1 Peter 1 and verse 15 says, Be holy as your Father in heaven is holy. Matthew, the fifth chapter, verse 48 says, Be perfect like God is perfect. Would you say that's pretty high expectations? Those are high expectations. God knows we are sinful. He knows we fall short. But his expectations are is that we are to excel in our holiness. And as we strive towards completeness or perfection or towards maturity as followers of God. So the mother of Lemuel had great insight in that she was called to raise a future king. And that's what she raised. So you need to have great expectations for your children. And I've already told you what I think they are. To teach your children to love God. If they love God, they'll love people. They'll be loving people, caring people, considerate people, compassionate people. They'll be respectful. They'll be grateful. They'll be thankful people. They will be people who will be faithful followers of Jesus Christ. They'll be good Christians. And, that's, and, they'll, and they'll carry that to their adulthood. Which leads us to our last two. The last two that you see behind me is a author's or a, a artist's view of what uh, Lois and Eunice might have looked like as they raised a young boy by the name of Timothy. So I opened up my Bible this morning. This is my mother's Bible. Okay, so I'm preaching from my mom's Bible today, and, and I'm preaching because it, got, it has big words. I can see it better. And so I was really excited about getting over to 2 Timothy 1 and verse 15, and I turned over there this morning, and I was marking it, and guess what's not in her Bible? That page is out of there. I don't know if it fell out or what happened there. So I thought, uh-oh, I better memorize that passage of, of Scripture. So Paul says, I'm reminded of the faith was, that was in your grandmother Lois and was in your mother Eunice as well. And I am convinced that it's in you as well, Timothy. So here you have first-generation Christians. You have Lois and Eunice. Lois, the grandmother, a first-generation Christian. Eunice, a, a, a um, first-generation Christian. And they're raising their son. And Paul specifically mentions that it's Lois and Eunice that are raising Timothy. Well, why isn't the dad mentioned here? Because in a patriarchal society, you would think that the dad would have been mentioned. But it says of him that he was a Greek, which means that he probably almost almost 100% was not a believer or was not a Christian. So guess what? It doesn't fall upon the dad to make sure his children are raised in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's going to fall to Eunice. That's going to fall to Eunice, who is the mother of her child, along with her mom, to raise up a child that is going to be raised in the nurture and in the admonition or the discipline of the Lord. It's going to be up to those two women to raise up a boy to love God and do all the things basically I've shared with, with you. And guess what? Timothy would rise. He would become a mature Christian man, so much so that Paul would know that of him and would choose him to be one of his closest friends in his life. When he's in, when he's in jail at the maritime prison in Rome waiting execution, who does he call for? He tells Timothy, bring with me your parchments and bring with you a cloak. Most of all, what he's wanting is, I want you, Timothy, I need you here with me. Timothy is the one that he lives in the darling of Paul's churches that he had established in, in Ephesus. He loves Ephesus. Timothy is going to take Paul's heart to Ephesus, and he is going to become the evangelist 
in a mature congregation who has elders and deacons to give guidance and instruction to that church that is there. How did Timothy become that way? He became that way because of his mother and because of his grandmother. As hard as it is to convince many otherwise, no mother is perfect. Okay, no mother is, is perfect. My mother wasn't perfect. My wife, Lori, is a, an incredible mother, but she is not perfect. At least not with a capital P. Uh, but they're not perfect. Mother, mothers do fail in some things. They're human. But the one thing that a mother cannot fail in is raising your child in the Lord. Your child is so dependent upon you to give them instruction, to give them discipline, to raise them up. I'm not saying that you do it without by yourself. Dad obviously have a huge hands-on part uh, of that. But raising your children, there's something about the matriarchal part, the, the woman part, the mother part in a child's life that raises a man to be the person that uh, he is going to be. I like what James Dobson said. The main job of a parent is to get the hand of Jesus into the hand of the child before it's too late. There's a window that you have with your children. There is. There's a window that you have with your children. And the sooner that you can get your child in the Lord, and vice versa, the better it's going to be. I like what Napoleon said. Let France have great mothers and France will have great sons. Let the United States have great mothers and the United States will have great sons. There's so much truth and wisdom in what's being said there. So as I get ready to close this lesson out for you this morning, uh, what is the responsibility then of a father or husband and the children? Well, your job is, is to uh, honor your mother and be grateful, show gratitude towards your mother because of all the, if you're the husband, be, you know, show gratitude and gratefulness and, and let her know that. Um, if you don't think a mother is not valuable, let her go away to visit someone for like two weeks and you'll fin find out that you are not near as mentally, physically, or emotionally, or spiritually strong as that mother is. At least I never have been. You know, Lori's ten times tougher than I am when it comes down to making a house into a home and keeping that place a home and a place comfortable for a family to live in. And so you need, fathers, you need to tell your wives how great they are. Your children, you need to do the same. When, when your mom makes supper or breakfast, you need to say thank you. And if you make a mess, you need to clean up your mess. If you take something out, you need to put it away and, and so on with those bullet points there. You need to be that kind of a, a, a person. I was thinking about these two little boys. They're four years old and six years old, and, and they want to buy a flower for Mother's Day, and so they have their dad take her to a florist, and they come home, and they, come home, they came home with this scrawny-looking plant. It's not even a nice looking, it's kind of a scrawny-looking plant, but that's all they could afford, and they give that to the mama, and the mother is absolutely thrilled with that little scrawny plant. And the little six-year-old says, you know, Mommy, uh, when Daddy took us to the florist, there was a plant in there that was so beautiful. It was the most beautiful plant. We wanted to buy that for you, but we couldn't afford it. it was too much money and the reason why we wanted it because it had a beautiful ribbon on it that said rest in peace <laughs> and and we know how you're always saying i would just love like to have a little bit of rest and peace 
And we thought that would be a perfect plant for you. <laughs> I think that's how children are. You know, we want to give the very best to our parents. And, and you know, the, those little boys, they, they gave their mother this scrawny little plant. But it, it was as beautiful as any plant they could have possibly bought, bought her. And so, mothers, we, we honor you. I just want to close it with this thought here by Dr. Dorothy Kelly Patterson. It may be a little bit too small for you to read, so I'll read it for you. There is no more pressing need for the coming decade than the revival of interest in the responsibilities of motherhood. We need mothers who are not only family-oriented, but also family-obsessed. There is much talk about the virtue of childlessness and the fame in making one's own place in the sun, but even in the midst of the fading of motherhood in the United States, it is hard to locate even one grain mother who believes she made a mistake. You cannot pay a woman to do what a wife or mothers do for free. A mother has an irrational commitment, and she receives an intangible reward, not in materialistic benefits, which fades, but in the blessing and honor, which will last through eternity. If you listen to the last part that was read to you out of Proverbs 31, as you got down to around verse 30, 30 down through 31, there it says there that a woman of this kind of virtue is one where her children honor her and her husband sits at the gates and is praised because of this great wife, this great woman that he has. You have no greater calling in all the world than to be a mother, and you have no greater responsibility in the world than raising your children to love God and to love Jesus. So the lesson is yours. My heart's desire so much is that you will have an incredible Mother's Day and just a great family day to be together with one another. God bless you and may he keep you until we meet again, which hopefully will be this evening. So the message is yours. Your response is yours as well, whatever it might be. While together we stand and sing and give you opportunity once you come. Jesus.